today we're actually um, talking about make your mind uh, behave. And uh, I, I jumped on this one when I saw this series, and, and this is a passion of mine. It's something that has been uh, a, a place of real challenge for me, and I just, I, I, I love to have the opportunity to share my journey uh, with this. But uh, it's been interesting that, that Clifford has been the, the, the mascot of, of uh, this series, and uh, interesting enough, five months ago, my daughter got a puppy, and, and this whole idea of, of puppies, uh, puppies don't behave. By themselves, they do what they want to do. They they run around. They and they go through different stages. And and you, uh, you know, they'll tear things up. They'll chew up the couch. They chew up pillows. They go to the bathroom wherever they see fit. Left to their own devices, they'll get on the table and and eat stuff. Tear things up. Right? Anybody ever experience all this? Uh, anybody want a puppy? <laughs> And in the absence of, of training that puppy, that puppy is just going to do whatever. And the reality is the same thing is true with our minds. And I think, it, you know, for me, and this is just uh, the struggle that, that uh, I've been entrusted with my, my whole life, my mind never turns off. Never. Uh, that, uh, like a puppy, it, it, my mind is always going and it is mischievous and gets into, you know, places where it shouldn't go. And, uh, and it ultimately led me to a place where I, I say I was spiritually and morally bankrupt just because I allowed my mind to just go. And it was... During this time that uh, I had no control over my mind, and I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, a dog that just was never trained. They say it's a bad dog, but it's not a bad dog, right? It was a bad uh, owner because it never trained. And I believe the same thing is true with our, with our minds, and especially in today's uh, age, which, you know, I'm actually thankful that I didn't have the internet growing up and, and a bunch of these other things because... It is just a wild, wild uh, west or, or a landmine uh, of things that could just darken your mind and darken your soul and, and destroy your life. And even though, you know, puppies are cute and, and wonderful and your mind is a great thing, the reality is you will have, you will have your mind behave or your mind will go places that that uh, it wants to. And it was in this dark period uh, in, my, in my 20s, and, and it was totally out of control that, that and where I became a, a man of faith, and, and a pastor led me to what became the life passage of, of my life. And that's Philippians 4, uh, uh, verses 4 uh, through 13. And... I talk about this, this passage as, as literally given by God uh, uh, to, to me and all of us, obviously, but in my life, to not only uh, 
guide my heart and mind, but also give me the concrete tools in order to train my mind. So I want to just, uh, we're going to be in Philippians 4 uh, today, so you want to open up to chapter 4. And a guy named Paul wrote most of the Bible, uh, New Testament at least. Uh, He's writing to the uh, Philippians and and uh, the Apostle Paul, and he, and he writes this, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And I love what we're going to see through this chapter or through this uh, passage is this proactive approach to guiding your heart and your mind in a way that is productive and honoring to God. If you go back just one chapter in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Again, the reality is if we are not proactive, we are being reactive to everything that the world is bombarding us with. And it is coming more and more and more. And we all know this. Like, it blows me away what, what uh, uh, is on television nowadays. And it blows me away, you know, the, you know movies and, and what's on the internet and things like that. And, and, and billboards and, and even, you know, at the halftime show at the Super Bowl today, I'm sure we are going to be bombarded with images and ideas and Will one commercial or one show, you know, destroy our mind? No, I'm not saying that. But I can tell you what, if you don't make your mind behave, if you don't proactively say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I am having good stuff in my mind so when this other stuff that's arbitrary comes in or just is part of living this world... That, that it is a proactive approach. Verse 5, it continues and says, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. So right out of the gate, he's, he's, he's eventually going to get into really, your, you know, how do you make your mind behave? But he's saying, look, be full of joy in the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoicing is a decision. Rejoicing when you wake up and and you have another day and say, you know what, I am making my mind behave and you know what, I have all these other things, but I am going to rejoice. I choose to rejoice. I choose to rejoice that I have a roof over my head. I choose to rejoice because I have a place of employment to go to that cares for me Uh, so I can care for myself and my family. I choose to rejoice for the friends that I have in my life. You know, sometimes I like to to listen to news. I like to read news articles. And there's nothing sinful necessarily, you know, about wanting to be informed. But I can tell you that if that is all my diet, my mental diet, it's hard to rejoice. Rejoice. Because the things that we're faced with, and I, I believe that we are uh, in a time that we, we are existing in a realm 
with our minds and what we're exposed to that we as human beings were not created to be able to handle. Before the internet, before all of, all of you know, the 24-hour uh, news cycle, you know what, things were happening all around the world, terrible things. And only God knew all of these things. And now, we're exposed to North Korea and, and missile crisis and, and what's happening in the, in the Middle East and, and every hate crime that happens in the United States. And again, if that is, our, is going into our minds and we allow that and just fill our minds with that and that is our major part of our diet, it will destroy us. It is hard to rejoice to say, stop. I am going to make my mind behave and I am going to purposely open up my Bible. I'm going to turn off the radio and put in a worship CD. All of you today, this is one of the things that, and honestly, as being a church guy, like I appreciate actually the Sunday morning gathering more and more and more as I, as I hopefully, as I get older and hopefully more wise, that by you being here today, you have said, you know what? Stop. I am going to stop everything and I am making the choice to rejoice in the Lord. And it's huge. It's our reset once a week. And essentially a culture of joy and rejoicing uh, 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 defends your faith. When we say, you know what, I'm going to make my mind behave, I'm going to say, I'm going to stop, and I am going to choose to read the Bible and, and allow God's Word into my mind. When I'm going to go to growth groups and have elevated conversations what we're saying is yes to this rejoice of this abundant life that Christ came to give us rather than letting the world dictate what goes into our heart, heart, mind, and soul. So how does or what does joy uh, and respect defend your faith from? Number one, pettiness. Pettiness. You know, Believe me, I, you know, it's so easy to be petty. It's so easy to get concentrated and focused on little stuff that really doesn't matter. As I'm scanning the, the uh, radio station and uh, there's a local guy here uh, who does um, uh, a complaining Friday kind of thing. I forget what it's called, but... Oh, yeah, I wasn't going to say his name, but uh, <laughs> but basically people call up and they complain, and, and, and you know what? I've listened to that a few times, and I, and, and I turn it off as soon as I can, because it's, all of it is petty, and it's so easy to focus on these petty things. Believe me, I don't like traffic. I don't like people you know, cutting me off. I don't like long lines. I mean, and we could spend our whole lives being petty and, and negative 
and it's cancer to our spirit. And it leads to despair. When we choose to rejoice, when we choose to make our mind behave, it actually shuts despair out. And this is not being naive or or, uh, uh, not being realistic. But Christ says he came to give us joy and an abundant life. And what the world has to offer is despair. Hypercriticism. It, you know, just, it's so easy. And I don't know if you've ever gone on the negative track with somebody. You know, and this is something, and I'm just speaking from my, my heart. Like, I feel like I have a lot of grace until I don't. Right? They're, they're just like, and I don't know what it is. It's like, it's okay, it's okay, you know, God loves you. And like, then I cross that line, and then it's like, every little thing that person does wrong, I'm hypercritical about it. And this happens in life again and again and again. And then ultimately, it leads to division. Actually, Joe and I were, were talking in the green room in this idea, and I wholeheartedly believe it, that, that if you are united in your family, there is very little outside of your family that can destroy you. If you are united in your church, there's very little outside that can destroy you. If you are united in your organization or your company, there's very little that somebody can do to you outside. The most important person to dictate your future is the person who's standing next to you, not the person across the street aiming at you. And I believe that this, in this unity, if we choose to say we will rejoice together, And we will go forward in the mission of making and maturing and mobilizing fully devoted followers of Christ. And we choose to make that decision to make our mind behave instead of saying we don't like how loud the music is. We don't like how long the service is. We don't like this. You know what? There's nothing special about finding something that's wrong. You're not brilliant. It's obvious. That's the lowest common denominator. You know what's truly special is somebody who chooses to rejoice, to make their mind behave and say, you know what? I choose to be united in going forth with what really matters. I love how the prophet Isaiah puts it in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. Clearly he was not reading the news and listening to talk radio all day. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like the bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. Do you think there was anything bad happening in Isaiah's life? Do you think he had anything to be bitter or disgruntled about? Of course, but he chose 
to rejoice. He chose to say, I choose joy. In verse 6 in Philippians, Paul goes to the next step and he says, don't worry about anything. Oh, okay, Paul. Right? Any worriers here? Yeah. You know, one of my life was God has, verses is, God has not given us um, a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. As a young man, I remember reading that and saying, if only that was true. Jesus, if that is true, I will follow you until you call me home. Peace doesn't just happen. Peace is a cultivated crop. Has anybody just kind of like walked into their backyard and there was beautiful fruits and vegetables just, uh, you know, it's like you walk out and it's like, wow, it was all weeds yesterday. Now it's the Garden of Eden. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have It takes hard work. I remember when I was a kid and, and uh, I've told this story before, but uh, uh, I think it's just such a, a great story. It taught me so many spiritual truths I didn't even know I was learning at the time. Uh, we moved to a new home, and it had lots of fruit trees in Southern California. And uh, there's this one fruit tree, it was an orange tree. And the owner said, yeah, this, this orange tree has never given oranges. And my mom decided, you know, this tree is going to give oranges. And my mom is who taught me persistence wears resistance. That, that uh, this is the same woman who wanted to deliver me uh, uh, dinner at my apartment. When I first got my apartment, I wasn't home and broke into my home, my apartment, so she could make sure that I had this dinner that she, uh, she had made for me. This woman is the most uh, uh, determined person, and she set her mind, she chose to say, I am going to cultivate this tree to give oranges. So what she would do is she got all this fertilizer and she went out there and she started watering it and then she decided, you know, she read somewhere that if you sing to plants, that, that they like it. And my mom, I love my mom, but she is not the greatest singer in the world. And she would go out there and we were all, we would joke, we're like... You know, that tree didn't give fruit, but you know, her singing's going to kill it off dead. <laughs> but she would go out there every day and she would sing praise music, you know, because that's what she filled her mind with, uh, to, to this tree and care for it. And the next season came of oranges, or, or, or for, for orange season, and you know what we got? Nothing. <laughs> but that doesn't deter Jan McNeese. That thing's going to give oranges if she has to chop the thing down, sell it for wood, and go to the Publix. 
and buy oranges. She's going, that tree is going to produce oranges. So she sang she, even more. She cared for it even more. And then next orange season came along. And guess what happened? Now we got a couple of miserable little oranges. But the tree was growing and growing. And she said, you know what? I am going to cultivate this. I'm going to continue going on. So she would go out there every single morning and she would sing and water and make sure and prune this tree. Uh, and I remember when she like cut it all back and we're like, what the heck? You're like, what are you doing? And then the third orange season came along. And you know what happened? It was full of oranges. We had so many oranges, we didn't know what to have. We were having orange juice, orange pie, orange Julius, orange whatever. We were trying to give people oranges. And not only did we have a lot of oranges, but they were the best oranges to this day that I've ever tasted. And this is the reality, is you choose joy. It takes time. And sometimes it takes time. You have to prune some stuff. Because the sickness and the, and the disease is so integrated that it takes time. And I think that we've been given a great disservice in, uh, sometimes in Christian churches uh, just saying like, you know what, say this prayer and you'll be healed. And you know what? Sometimes we need Jesus to sing to us. Season after season after season. We have to have Jesus prune back some stuff in our lives. And it's painful. And it's not pretty. But if we want to cultivate this crop of beauty that God has envisioned for us, then we have to allow us to choose to rejoice and to move forward. Just like oranges, peace needs certain conditions to grow. And Paul talks about this. He says, you know what? You have anxiety. We all have anxiety. You're not special. We all worry about different things. And when you worry, when you're worrying, when you're worried about your job, when you're worried about North Korea dropping a nuke, when you're worried about this, you're worried about you know, the administration, you're worried about this, instead of worrying about it, instead, pray. And that's not some pithy little Christian thing. This is hardcore mind training. Talk to God. And then he says, tell him what you need. You know, anxiety thrives in ambiguity. That anxiety thrives in non-specifics. I'm so worried. What are you worried about? That something might happen. Well, what is that something? And training your mind to say, you know what? I feel this anxiety. I feel like something's wrong. And I'm not saying that something may not be wrong. But you know what? What Paul's saying is, you know what? Number one, turn to the person who can do something about it, God, and tell him what you need. Be specific. You know what, God? I'm worried that I'm going to lose my job because the economy's turned 
around, down or something like that. After you tell him, then go back and choose to rejoice. Thank him for what you have done, what he has done for you. Again, I love this scripture because it's it, it teaches a principle of choose joy and choose to rejoice, but it also gives you tangible steps on how to achieve that joy. And then in verses 8 and 9, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. So after you talk to God, tell Him what you need and thank Him for what He has done. He says, fix your mind on these things. Fix your mind on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And again, this is not easy, and I can guarantee you, if you have not trained your mind, you're going to start out and go, okay, what's true? What's true? We're all going to die, and, 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 and the economy's going to turn, and everything is like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, I've got to think, what's, what, what, is, what is God's truth? And I remember, I remember it was so hard for me and I would sit there and I'd lay in my bed, like, what is true? What is true? My wife loves me. I know this is true. And then my mind would go all somewhere else, and you know, and I'm like worried about this and worried about that. And just going back and and I trained my mind to go through these things. You know, what is pure at that? time in, in my life, we had a little baby girl, Madison, and she was pure, and she was lovely. She's still pure and lovely, but, but you know, just, you know, and, and I would fix, I'm like, you know what, I can have anxiety about all this other stuff, or I can train my mind to see, you know what, God has entrusted us with a healthy, beautiful little baby girl, and that's true, and she's pure, and she's lovely. And then he says, you know what? Don't just leave it there. Put it into practice. Go do something. Keep putting into practice everything that you've learned and received. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. So number one, we're choosing to rejoice. We're going to put stops in our life to say, you know what, I choose this day to rejoice and have joy. And then not worry about anything, but tell God what you need. And then think about things that are godly. And then the final thing is going and putting it into practice. I'm going to jump down to verse 13 just for time. And this is one of the most misunderstood verses in the world. I think that, that it, you know, it's verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And I have pe people use that for their own personal gain. You know, it's like, oh, I can, I can make a million dollars through Jesus, you know, who gives me strength. Or I can, you know, become this because, through Jesus. And 
That's just spiritual babble. Everything in the Bible, what God communicates to us and put into practice is for your benefit and His glory. I rewrote this. This is the Gospel according to Mark McNeese. I rewrote, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, which I love, but I think this is maybe closer to what God's trying to communicate. I can trust Jesus through the good and the bad to give me the strength to live a life worthy of the gospel. That's what Paul is trying to communicate here. Is you know what? We, no matter what circumstance that we're facing, that Jesus has given us the strength through all circumstances to be able to live a life worthy of His calling. And you know what? So many times I think that we get it wrong as Christians. We think, I got to do this. I, I, I need to do this for God. And I love how Peter writes in, in chapter 4, verse 11, reminds us that you do these things, you live this life worthy of the gospel with all the strength and energy that God supplies. We live triumphant, abundant life through the power of Jesus Christ, not through our own power, through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, not in our own strength. That the story of the Bible is, is again and again that God communicates that He chooses those who can't do but through themselves and does miracles through them. Miracles happen when your finite ends and His infinite begins. And I think that the beautiful thing is your past experiences, your past hang-ups do not disqualify you from ministry. That they prepare you for ministry. And we see this again and again and again that it through, throughout the Bible, in fact, in, in Hebrews 11, that we have uh, the hall of fame of faith. And the reality is all these people were pointed by the apostles saying these are great people. But the reality is Noah, he was a drunk. Abraham slept with his maid. Sarah laughed at God. Jacob was a deceiver. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Barak was a coward. Samson was promiscuous. And David was an adulterer and a murderer. This is our hall of fame. And this doesn't even get into the New Testament uh, prostitutes and murderers and, and all this stuff. And this is the gospel, the good news, that your finite, when your finite ends and you allow God's infinite to begin, that is when miracles happen. But it all starts with choosing to rejoice in the Lord. You guys pray with me.